So, first off, general introduction. This is part of the letter to the Corinthians. Okay, Paul wrote this letter, um, and it was probably written from Ephesus, um, which is across part of the Mediterranean Sea. Okay, um, Paul had visited the church before this, and he also visited the church in Corinth a couple of times later than that. We know that from um, the book of Acts. Now, most of us will know that there is one Corinthians and two Corinthians. What is not always known so much is that actually one Corinthians is the second letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and that two Corinthians is probably the fourth letter. So there was initially, in 1 Corinthians 5, he actually talks about his previous letter, so we know there was one that's lost, and then he also talks in 2 Corinthians about the severe letter, um, and that was in between. Some of that may have been incorporated, we're not sure. It was probably written about AD 53 to 55, sometime around then. So we're actually only talking about 20 years after the crucifixion. It's not that long afterwards. The purpose of the letter, he was actually writing to deal with some of the issues that they had raised in a letter they'd sent him and some of the other things he's obviously heard from other people that he's come across. So this is some of the bits and pieces of what's going on there. Corinth was a really, really diverse city. There were people from all kinds of backgrounds, many slaves, many ex-slaves. It had been destroyed 146 years BCE, but then it was rebuilt by Julius Caesar 44 years BCE. So, and it was a city that was loyal to Rome. Um, there should be, if my computer decides to wake up. It's still got a spinning beach ball. There should be a map come up in a sec. If it doesn't in a minute, Chris, can you give it a poke? It was going. It's in southern Greece. Okay, so for those who know where Greece is, you've got Athens down towards the bottom, and there's a bit that sticks out to the side, off towards the west. Yes, Steve, I have really good descriptions on such things. And there's what the... the um, geography type people call an isthmus in between. Okay, so it's a really narrow bit of land in between and Corinth was situated there. And that area was really busy, loads and loads of trade went through there, so it came across, people came across land there to avoid the um, route across. So there wasn't an established inherited elite there. It was a city of loads of different people, lots of different backgrounds, lots of different cultural backgrounds, Roman, Greek, Jewish, barbarian, all sorts of areas. Okay. And so I'm now going to read the passage. It was going to come up on the screen, but sorry. So 1 Corinthians 1, starting at verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is Paul talking. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? 
Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who's become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I kind of got this all sorted and then as I tend to I landed up opening up another book and um, the book is called The Crucified God by a guy called Jürgen Moltmann Um, it's quite old now it's about the same age as me and um, he starts off his book by saying the cross is not and cannot be loved yet only the crucified Christ can bring the freedom which changes the world because it is no longer afraid of death. In his time, the crucified Christ was regarded as a scandal and foolishness. Today, too, it is considered old-fashioned to put him in the centre of Christian faith and of theology. Yet only when people are reminded of him, however untimely this may be, can they be set free from the power of the facts of the present time and from the laws and compulsions of history and be offered a future which will never grow dark again. Today, the church and theology must turn to the crucified Christ in order to show the world the freedom he offers. And that really struck me. I think this is just so true. It's actually, we only get freedom through actually coming through the cross. Without the cross, no matter how foolish it may seem to us, actually, we would not have the freedom that we do in in God. So, you've got all my notes up there now. <laughs> Come up on recent. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, there's the map with Corinth. If you go to the next one. You can see there's the the little isthmus, the little tiny bit where all the boats were taken out of the water. Stuff was brought across and put back in the water the far side. So it was a huge trade city. It was a really weird place in that sense. So, we've read the passage. That's the quote from Maltman. Right. So, in here, they are dividing in in the just bit for this bit we can see that the church at Corinth is dividing into factions around leaders, around Paul, Apollos, Peter, Jesus. Um, 
And this, this passage is actually Paul's answer to that. He wants to bring them back to why he came to them in the first place. What was important? And then they've divided up into groups, into factions around leaders. And he basically said, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So Paul wanted to know Jesus. He wanted to know him crucified. That was his priority. And just after this, in in chapter 2, he actually says that. All I want to know is that Christ and him crucified. Now the thing is, people praise worship praise and worship worldly wisdom and power. We know that. We like slick presentations, like when your screen doesn't work. Um, We like qualifications. We like light shows, perfect music. That's what people often are going for in the church these days. And definitely that's what people are going for in society these days. And yet, actually, God's power and God's wisdom is very, very different from that. And what Paul is saying here, that God's wisdom is demonstrated on the cross, and God's power is demonstrated on the cross. The thing is, when we look at the cross that's up there, just behind me, with its crown of thorns on, we don't actually immediately see wisdom. We don't immediately see power. Many of us who've grown up in the church have been taught to see that, but that's not what people outside the church see. That's not where you start from when you first look at the cross. So this morning we're going to be looking at how God's wisdom and power are just not like human wisdom and power, and that that is what is demonstrated on the cross. But the the real crunch bit is that this is good news, and this is good news especially for the weak, for the poor, for the dispossessed and the despised. Okay, so that's what we're going to look at this morning. So, and I, I, this first session is the longest one that I'm going to talk for, don't worry. Um, so 1 Corinthians 1, 22 to 23. The Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. So we're going to look at two different groups here. He picks out the Jews and he picks out the Gentiles. So the Jews, Paul was a Jew. He understood the culture. Um, And he's saying, you know, they wanted to see signs. They wanted to see the miraculous. They wanted to see God act. They'd seen God act right through their history. They wanted to see God act now. Um, And if we look in Matthew 12, Jesus was asked for a sign. And Jesus said, only the sign of Jonah will be given to you. And they didn't kind of really understand it. But actually what he was talking about was the cross. This was the sign that the Jews wanted that Jesus was offering them. The thing is, the Jews were looking for a Messiah. Now, the Greek word for Messiah is Christ. Okay? It's not actually a different thing. This is is what it means. And they were looking for a Messiah to save them. But as far as they were concerned, the Messiah, the Christ, was supposed to win. And Jesus died. And if you look back in Deuteronomy, the Jews would have all known that 
the one who hangs on a tree is cursed. And in Deuteronomy it says, if someone guilty of a capital offence is put to death, their body is exposed on a pole, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight to be sure to bury it that same day. Because anyone who has hung on a pole is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the land your Lord God is giving you as an inheritance. So when they looked at Jesus, when they looked at the cross, they saw that Jesus had been found guilty. Now it was a bit of a kangaroo court, but he had still been found guilty. He was exposed on a pole on the cross. Joseph of Arimathea had made sure he wasn't there overnight upon that cross. And they saw that anybody who is hung on a cross, on a pole, is under God's curse. So as far as they were concerned, that for, you know, the Messiah can't be cursed by God. The Messiah is God's one come to save us. He's the one come to win. This doesn't make sense. So they couldn't, they couldn't understand it. And so this is something they tripped over. This was their stumbling block. This was why they didn't understand it. The other group was the Greeks, the Gentiles. And most of us would fit into that category. Um, But actually, he's not just talking to Gentiles as a, a cultural group. He's actually talking for people who are looking for wisdom. Um... They were looking for something wiser than what they could see around them. Um, That was the culture. That was the way it worked. Now, Jesus could teach. You you can read the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus could teach, and he could teach jolly well. But he wasn't teaching in their equivalent of universities. He wasn't big in politics. He wasn't even top of his own religion. You know, when they looked at him... His own, his own people had rejected him. He wasn't powerful. He didn't come with the rhetorical prowess that they wanted. There were certain ways that the Greeks wanted things taught. Jesus didn't do that. And then he died. And he didn't run away from that. How wise is that? And I think it's still the same today. People want either signs, they want that power, or they want that wisdom. And the cross looks foolish. It doesn't make sense when we look at it like that. But, there's always a but. Um, What Paul says is that to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, so that's everybody, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. That is where we see God's power. That's where we see God's wisdom. So to those that God has called, and it doesn't matter what background they've got, Jew, Gentile, barbarian. In this nation, we were definitely in the barbarian category at that point in time. That's who they were writing to. When we get to that point, we can see that this is God's way to save This is God's way to bring freedom. This demonstrates God's wisdom. But do we look beyond that surface image of a criminal dying on a cross? Because when we look beyond and look to see what's going on underneath, that's when we see God's wisdom. 
And, yeah, it, it's foolishness, and yet it's power. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And um, in Rome, this was found on the Palatine Hill. That's a slightly clearer version of it. It's called the Alexa Menos Graffito. Um, apparently, the singular of graffiti is graffito. Who knew? Um, and actually, what it is, it says on that in Greek, Alexa Menos worshipping his God. And you've got someone on a cross with a loincloth, which would not have been the normal. This has definitely been someone who's seen Christian imagery. Um, and yet they've got the ass's head. As far as this person who did this graffiti was concerned, that's who the Christians are worshipping. It's foolish. It's stupid. And the thing is, when we're perishing, if I'm saving, sorry, if I need saving, I want someone who's going to come and save me. Not someone who's going to get killed by the authorities. And the thing is, Paul doesn't contrast foolishness with wisdom, which is kind of what I would do. You know, to me, that's the opposite. Um, he can contrasts it with God's power. And he says that, yes, it looks like it's foolish, but this is actually the power of God to those who are being saved. And it's more like someone jumping into a river or into a lake to save someone who's drowning and then pulling them out. That's what I need, is someone who's got that kind of power to save me. So we're going to have a bit of a, a chat. Well, you guys are, hopefully. Um, so I'm going to ask a few questions. I'll put them up on the screen and some post-it notes. If you can put bits on post-it notes and then come and put them on one of the tables um, so that people later can actually come and have a look at those if they want to. It's not compulsory, obviously. Um, so the first thing is, what is something that means our society can't see Jesus as God, the saviour? So the Jews, it was the fact that he didn't look like the powerful Messiah. For the Greeks, it was that he didn't look like that sort of wise university lecturer that understands and knows everything. And does that apparent weakness mean that people don't think Jesus can save? And let's be honest about these things. This is real questions. Um, and I think we have to remember, I have to remember when I'm looking at this kind of stuff, that actually what I see now when I look at the cross and what I'm talking about now this morning is years of looking at the cross and understanding it better. When we're talking to people who are not grown up through Sunday school, what do they see? What do they understand? What is it that is stopping them from seeing this as being good news? And um, how is the cross God's wisdom? So the questions are up there. So do feel free to chat and, as I say, pop stuff on post-it notes if you want to and then... Um, So verse 23 in this passage, Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. So this little bit, we're going to look at what does that actually look, at, look like. 
Um, and I think what it looks like is it's a power under, not a power over. People often want that power over others, whether that's in politics or whether it's in a work scenario or whether it's in relationships. People want that power over. But actually Christ crucified demonstrates a power under. It's actually saying that, no, I have the power by coming and serving you. I have the power by coming and dealing with, like as Carolyn said, the most vulnerable. Christ crucified looks like acting from love. A real self-sacrificial love. Not being forced to do that, but actually saying, I am choosing to serve. Out of love. And there is a power in making that choice. And the thing is, in John 14, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So when we look at the cross, what do we see? We see God suffering. We see God being cursed by people. We see God being rejected by people. That's quite stark when you put it like that. People are quite happy to say Jesus was rejected. But actually... Jesus is God. God was being rejected by people at that point too. And as Esther said a few weeks ago, actually we still do that. We still reject Jesus. We still reject what God wants to do in and through our lives. And when we look at Jesus on the cross, we see what God is like. We see what God has always been like. We see that self-sacrificial, beautiful love but we just have to see beyond that awful picture of someone bloodied and damaged and dying. So why would, why would we preach Christ crucified? Why would Paul say that that is his message? And it's not actually just here, he says it. He says it in other places too, but this, this passage, this is his main, one of his main points. And I think sometimes it is because that demonstrates the kind of God that we worship. We worship the God who is that one who comes underneath and supports that serving God. That God who is not looking for power over people, but he's looking for power to serve, power under. And ultimately, we actually have to go, actually, this is how God chose to reveal himself. Am I wise enough to turn around and say, that's the wrong way to do it, God? You know, this was God's choice. This was how God sees is the most important way to reveal himself, was on the cross. It is God's power revealed. It is God's wisdom revealed. And it's balmy by human wisdom. It doesn't make sense to us. But it is how God chose to reveal himself. In 1974, so again, another long time ago, um, there was a conference in Lausanne looking at evangelization of the whole world. And some participants afterwards drew up a response called Theology and Implications of Radical Discipleship. Nice short title. And their definition of gospel 
They said that God's good news in Jesus Christ is it is good news of the reign he proclaimed and embodies, of God's mission to love, to restore the world to wholeness through the cross of Christ and him alone, of his victory over the demonic powers of destruction and death, of his lordship over the entire universe. It is good news of a new creation, a new humanity, a new birth through him by his life-giving spirit, of the gifts of the messianic reign contained in Jesus and mediated through him by the spirit of the charismatic community empowered to embody his reign of shalom here and now before the whole creation and make his good news seen and known. It is good news of liberation, of restoration, of wholeness and of salvation that is personal, social, global and cosmic. That last line, it is good news of liberation, of restoration, of wholeness and of salvation that is personal, social, global, and cosmic. There's nothing that is not included by what Jesus did on the cross. So, again, we have an opportunity to discuss. And I'm actually going to suggest that we have just a minute or so where we don't discuss it, but actually people have a chance to just think, and if you want to, write something on a post-it note. Um, and then after a couple of minutes to just discuss that. Um, and again, we'll put the post-it notes on a different table. Um, so, what difference does it make to us if Christ crucified is actually what we're going to share with people? What difference does that make? And what difference does it make to what we tell ourselves about God, about ourselves, about others? When we look at Jesus on the cross, what difference does it make to us about how we see ourselves, how we see the people that are outside those doors, how we see our work colleagues, and how we see God? Okay, so I'll again leave those. So this last little bit, we're going to look at God's wisdom and power. Um, and ultimately, God's wisdom and power is Jesus. Um, Jesus defines God's power and God's wisdom. Uh, verse 30 here is because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And love defines God's power because God is love, from 1 John 4. The thing is, God's wisdom is wiser than human wisdom human wisdom says me and my family first my friends and other like, others like me next and then other people human wisdom says having power over other people is good human power says victory looks like me winning and you losing that there's not enough to go round that's what victory looks like and therefore I'm going to win whereas God's wisdom says the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Whoever wants to be great has to be servant of all. And we've been looking through Mark. That's both from Mark 9 and Mark 10. You don't have to be wise to be saved by God's wisdom. And that's amazing. In a world that tells us that education is the most important thing out there. God's wisdom says that it is more powerful, human, uh, that God's power is more powerful than human power. 
It's not a power over, like human power is. It's a power under. It's servant-hearted. It's love-orientated power. It's that freedom to genuinely choose. Jesus chose to go to the cross because he loved. He chose at Gethsemane to face all that torment. And we looked at that last, last week. Um, and if you weren't here, then do, do watch that. And God's wisdom says that victory is demonstrating love. It's not a zero-sum game. So on other hands, if I win, it doesn't mean to say you lose. Everyone can win in God's economy. So what about us? The last part of this passage talks about there weren't many who were powerful. This is really good news for the lowly, for the weak, for the powerless. Most of the Corinthians were in that group. And, you know, that's something that we don't always understand, that actually it's not about human power. Human kingdoms like the wise, the educated, the strong, the beautiful. But none of those things make a difference in joining God's kingdom. Because God's wisdom doesn't work like that. That is seriously good news. That people need to hear. People are so tired of hearing that they're not educated enough. They're not beautiful enough. They're not strong enough. They're not something else enough. That doesn't matter. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, that doesn't matter. Other people don't have to be knocked out for us to get a place in God's kingdom. It's not a one out, one in. There is room for all. It's big enough. It's inclusive enough. We don't have to be first past the post to get, a bit, to get in, to get a place. All who look to Jesus get a place to be in Christ. We can't earn God's love. We can't earn a place with him through our wisdom, through our strength. His wisdom and strength are just so much more than ours can ever be. And love is never earned. That is offered freely. And God loves each and every one of us. He loves each and every one of our neighbours, each and every one of those people in other parts of the world that are suffering under war situations, under oppression, under slavery. God loves them as much as he loves you and as much as he loves me. That's something we don't understand. But that is also good news, that love is not earned. So very briefly, um, have a little bit of chat. And what are the two things that you would like to remember from this morning? I work on the basis I can never remember more than one or two. So what are the two things? If you want to, write it down in a post-it note, pop it in your wallet, whatever. Um, if you want to come and put it on one of the tables as well, then you know, other people can benefit from that. Um, I'm just going to give two minutes before we then have... We share communion together.